Hey folks, and welcome to How to Fail at College, a podcast about how to survive college or fail miserably trying. I'm Carl Beckham. And I'm Paul Crowley. This week we have our very first special guest on the show joining us, so we'd like to introduce Professor Aglia Nguyen. Hello. Aglia is a professor of English at Ora Georgetown Technical College, where Carl and I are at, and she is also a native of South Carolina. She has the unfortunate problem having her office next to Carl and I, where we provide constant distractions. Aglia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm looking forward to offering some input on Snapchat today. So is this your first podcast, I assume? It is. You can tell by my shaky voice. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll make it uh, nice and easy for you. Word. So the first thing we want to do is actually just cover some of our news items that we've come across. And as always, Paul is trying to get us fired for our opinions on these topics. I don't think there's anything wrong with these. All we're doing <laughs> is presenting the information, and we'll let people take their own opinions and takeaways from it. So, courtesy of the Harvard Crimson this week, we have the past Harvard men's cross-country teams writing sexually explicit comments about women's team. So I don't think we have to go into all the details. We don't need to talk about the specific things they were saying, but these people were very organized. They created Excel spreadsheets to track the new members of the athletic women's teams, and then they would also make comments about their appearance, how attractive they were, and things related to... Uh, I think you can leave that one hanging. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember back in like middle school and stuff, you would find those lists of who's hot and who's not. And I was always towards the bottom <laughs> of those lists. I think I still would be. Um, Your rate my professor profile says differently, Mr. Chili Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifyingly enough, yes. Um, but this just seems very different than scrawled out crayon and magic marker of hotnesses. These are supposedly adults. Yes. As adults, though, we do make stupid decisions. We see that with the next news article that we have and that the CDC has noticed that STD rates are increasing. Not only are they increasing, though, it's primarily with college-age students. So they're not saying students specifically. They're saying for this age group. But the vast majority of people in that age group are probably in some type of college, and that's what's leading to the increase they found. And it was the three STDs that they had jump up the quickest, and now college colleges are struggling to educate students how to protect themselves. And those three, um, the CDC found that the combined total cases of gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis in the United States reached an unprecedented high in 2015. People aged 15 to 24 account for a large number of these new cases. Good lord. Just to kind of get off the sexual bandwagon for a second, we're not necessarily going to a better area. We'll go to our last news article, though, where on Rutgers campus earlier in the week, three people were stabbed and left in critical condition. This involved a professor that was in their office with a student. A former student came in, unprovoked as far as we can tell, and began stabbing them around 2.30 in the afternoon. They were rushed to the hospital. We're not sure at this point, as far as the article that we're looking at, what may have prompted this stabbing, but I think we're going to might touch on something um, re that relates to this later in the show as we look at social media and its impact and how it's being used. Paul, what do you have set for Google Alerts? Because this just terrifies me sometimes. I only have one Google Alert, and it's egotistical because it's my name. <laughs> Everything else I just 
come across. <laughs> it's Twitter, man. It's Twitter. <laughs> so on the show this week, we want to focus on the all-important topic of social media. This is something that tends to consume more of our lives than maybe it should. And we see colleges and professors attempting to use it, albeit unsuccessfully at times. We can also see some inappropriate uses of social media by students and faculty alike. So let's talk a little more about some of the do's and don'ts that we should keep in mind. Well, I was going to toss out uh, what might be a dated one right now. This is taken from an older online class of mine, and it was the... At the time, it was part of the template for online learning, and it was our social media policy. So I'm just going to read this off real quick. I think it... From, when is this from? Is it dated? I do not have a date on it. Okay. So, as professors, we expect a certain decorum to be upheld both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. We may have professional, open quote, professor, close quote, Facebook profiles and Twitter handles, but we should not extend invitations to students to our personal sites and feeds. You may include links to your professional pages here, but again, please refrain from adding students to any personal pages or feeds. Interesting. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Because I think we've, Carl and I, uh, you and I shared a former student who sent, I think, both of us a friend request on Facebook. Or at least I got one and I promptly deleted it. I believe you got one as well. You know what? I'm mistaken. I got the friend request. You got the invitation to join his Bible study group, whatever it was. I did get the Bible study invite. That's what it was. So I think if we look at the types of social media accounts out there, there are quite a few. You have the like the core three that most people are familiar with of any ages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but we also see that it's been expanding outside of that as far as Snapchat, Yik Yak, and some of the other ones that I'm probably less familiar with. Am I missing any of them? I can't think of any, but again, I'm 32, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let me ask you this, Aguilar, in your experience, looking at some of maybe the schools that you've been to or you've worked with, how have they used some of these social media accounts? You have professors um, trying to make the information, the content they're conveying in the classroom a little more relatable for students. So maybe they'll find an article, they'll make a class Facebook page, they'll find an article that relates to the subject matter of the class and students will comment accordingly. Um, I've noticed that once these Facebook pages become too school-like, too schooly, too educating, um, the students seem to veer clear of it and I think that's why Snapchat is pretty popular right now it, or it's it's becoming more popular it's because it's a kind of an adult free zone uh, where kids and students and teens can say and do what they want and not have to worry about Meemaw finding them or liking their picture on Facebook or something. We, we do see that trend like we're all over the age of 30 and we tend to veer more towards the maybe the Facebook and the Twitters but younger generations, they're more of the, the Instagram and the Snapchats. They have a different way of sharing their information. It's, it's very visual. And so they're not engaging on the kind of the core three necessarily because of exactly what you mentioned, their families coming in, other people. I remember when I first joined Facebook, it was just for college students. And then they start expanding more and more and more and more. And then when my mom joined, it's kind of like, oh, my goodness. you know. And then my grandmother's on it. My whole family's on it now. And so if I put something on there, it's kind of like, okay, well, this needs to be at least semi-appropriate for everybody. Will this hurt Meemaw's feelings? You have to always consider that. Or will this upset Meemaw? Right. <laughs> oh, thank goodness my grandmothers are dead. <laughs> well, well, Carl, Agley was talking a lot about how teachers are using these accounts to engage with students outside of class, to kind of further that learning. But if we do it too methodically or they 
they get the hint that they're actually going to be learning, they kind of disconnect. So what kind of experiences have you had with this with other teachers trying it? Has it been something that's useful and it's actually going to work? I've got kind of two things I've seen. One was personal experience. One was actually during the hurricane, in fact, that I kind of want to touch on. But many semesters ago, uh, Twitter was kind of the new kid out there. And they, people were, we were starting to adopt it. And there's a big push in class Aglia teaches as well, uh, business communications, which is web 2.0, which is different means of communication via social media, what have you. So I had a bonus points, a hints on quizzes and everything like Twitter set up that was just supplemental material that was a little dicey because I'm not the Twitterer the tweeter that you are Paul um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not that much either <laughs> but it was awkward for me because I was still learning all the steps while I was doing it and so it was difficult for me to engage well how do you tag how do you respond what's this um, but it was it was good experience wise it was a little flawed on my end I feel and I think what you're referring to is like the social norms and the protocols that are involved with this. On day-to-day communications is something that we just kind of learn as we grow up and just experience life. But when you experience something new, you're engaging this social media and communicating online. There are different rules, there are different protocols that you may just not understand. Different jargon, different means of interface, different ways of, uh, Lord, I think this was before Twitter had direct messaging. Um, so it was incredibly young and very confusing at the time, actually. I think that's why one of our, um, one of the podcasts that Carl and I listen to is Reply All, and they have a segment on there called Yes, Yes, No, where the two hosts have their boss come in, and he asks them a question about something he saw on Twitter that he just doesn't understand, and they have to go through the process of explaining to him what's actually going on here. I think that's what we see, how we are using it, these social media sites, either from a personal standpoint or as we're trying to use it for student engagement, is totally different than how students are actually using it. I came across a a few months ago, it was an article I was reading, and then I had it confirmed to me by someone who actually does this, and it was just called What the Finsta? And it's how, particularly high school students, maybe even college students at this point, are using Instagram. And it's a way that we haven't really seen before in that they will have two or more accounts. They'll have their personal account where they post things that are public and anybody can see them, but then they also have these fake accounts under just you know, pseudonyms, whatever it may be, and they use that to communicate various memes that they don't want other people to see, or sometimes, you know, things that may be a little more sexually explicit that they don't want their parents to find. So we have these kind of like two sides to to each of us, you know, we have the side we want memes and moms and dads to see about us, and then we have the other side where we want to, I don't know, uh, express, I don't, I, I hate to say a more vulgar side, but um, Adults like to use Facebook um, to share a cute picture of a puppy or an old saying that relates to something they experienced in the past, something that makes them feel nostalgic. Um, if you remember what this object is, then share it. And then, of course, all the all the memals and aunts and uncles share it and have a grand old time. Um, the younger generation seems to use Facebook more to, I'm seeing, on, at least on my Facebook, to project some type of, I, don't, I hate to say visade, but some type of visade as to how they want others to perceive them. They want to appear like they, they, they don't care about this, they're apathetic about that, they do care about these various um, issues, but um, I don't know how sincere these actual, these, these posts and these memes and whatnot that are uploaded, I don't know how sincere they are. Um, it's more to project what, how they want other people to see them. I mean, in the end though, isn't that what we're all kind of doing? I think so, but it's, it's 
that's what's kind of interesting about social media is you can have that construct. Um, I think kind of running off of Aglia's talk about building that persona, building that identity, there's also that tendency, which I find kind of fascinating with the shared memes and everything of what's called slacktivism, where you it's the modern day interpretation of activism where instead of getting out and protesting, getting out and saying something, you share another Bernie Sanders meme um, where that is perceived as progressive, as substantial, as contributing to the dialogue or the conversation happening. So instead of getting out and organizing maybe a sit-in or some type of other maybe peaceful protest, let's see if we can get this topic trending on Twitter. Basically, yeah. Like On the flip side, it's really interesting to see that dialogue, see that discussion happening, and on a bigger global scale to an extent, but it's still the diminished impact, I believe, for local activism. So it's opening up the, the discussion to more people, but at the same time, you're not actually doing as much physically. It's kind of the big deal. So is it more of the work smarter, not harder? It's kind of along those lines as uh, the how many likes can we get for this kid suffering with cancer or how many shares can we get to, to bring awareness to the event that's happening overseas or whatever. Um, it's, it totally is bringing about uh, a lack of actually accomplishing something. If you could attach something like a GoFundMe maybe, that's another way around it, a GoFundMe account or something to actually raise money for these causes, um, you would see more of a, obviously more of a, a benefit for them. But I think again, it's a more of a, I'm cool because I'm sharing this. I'm getting, I'm, bring, I'm this is something my friends might like me uh, caring about, so I'm gonna do it. Well, as we look at it, a moment ago, Agla, you mentioned how some students, younger students may be using Facebook to project a certain persona. Right, and from a certain standpoint, that's actually pretty smart, right? They don't want to put anything out there, per se, that might hurt them later on. It's job prospects or just things like that. But I'm guessing at some point or in some kind of way, they are still sharing those items. It might be through Snapchat where the message might not live forever. There's some questions about that actually though. But do you think there are some things that students should or should not be posting online whatsoever? I tend to veer away from confrontation, so as far as religious, political posts, like I generally tend to not add any of that. Um, if you're, if you're into the the confrontation and you're 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 willing to make your one comment turn into a thousand uh, replies, then I guess that works for you. But as far as what not to post, generally speaking. Um, those drunken nights um, where your friends are, you know, taking videos of you of probably climbing on the things you probably shouldn't be climbing on, jumping off of those things, you know, general things like that. Um, those drunken nights, those things that you probably wouldn't want your meme all seeing, that's generally the type of things you would want to not post on Facebook or at least um, delete once you're um, on track for looking for um, a professional opportunity. What's interesting though is that even if you delete it, at some point it still exists out there. There are a bunch of creeps that may just save random people's photos, right? And so I remember one time I was doing a Google image search for something I was working on and as I'm going through the pages, I actually found one of my pictures. Oh wow. That was not on anything that I had posted. So someone had taken it from somewhere and someone else got it and someone else got it and this person in Mexico put it on their website. And I was like, well that's scary. It is a little scary. It is definitely a little scary. Carl, do you have any thoughts about things that we should or shouldn't be doing on social media, even as teachers? Oh, as teachers? 
No. Um, <laughs> I th well, I think the posting of questionable material is... That was... Oh, I hate doing this. But that's kind of one of those situations that I think the three of us in this room had to deal with. Because we are at that age where we came up with terrible decisions online, courtesy of MySpace. <laughs> um, and that was, it was before we really knew. We, there, there was that gulf in knowledge and awareness of these images and these words and everything lasting forever. We have a tendency to see the internet as fluid and always changing, but there's still that substance that will always remain. Uh, whether it's ballast, whether it's flotsam and jetsam, what have you. Uh, but as far as what we should be doing, one of, I t as teachers, one of my, one thing my wife always says is she refuses to befriend coworkers on social media. Okay, I've heard this before. Uh, it's just a, Lord knows why, but it's just to keep, to keep everything in the workplace professional, to keep it civil, to not wind up accidentally stepping into the private personal lives and private personal thoughts of people that they don't that you don't necessarily know as individuals if right. that makes sense yeah and i think i told you once about that uh, experience i had at my previous employment there was another supervisor who did not have that rule they were friends with everybody on facebook and instagram and it blurred that line to the point where one person felt it was okay to comment on their instagram picture hey i'm gonna be late for work today instead of actually calling in. Yeah, you, you just don't do that, right? A shirking of protocol because of online friendliness. Right. <laughs> and so I don't, I've never had this personally, I don't know about either one of y'all, where you know you have students that might reach out to you, email, usually email because they don't want to talk to you, maybe come by your office. Has anybody, have you ever had that pe person cross the line where they contact you via social media in some type of way? Actually, uh, very recently, um, I, I'm, again, I'm 30 and on Facebook and they're coming up with all sorts of new contraptions on Facebook and like the buttons and icons move. So I've got to figure out where those go and if I, if, can they see if I open this, you know. So um, I got a request from, a message request from a student and all I saw was, hi, Professor Wynn, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, this is slightly creepy. But then later I was like, okay, he can't see me if I, if I open it. So I opened it to see what the actual message was. And the message was, hi, Professor Wynn. Um, I have a few questions about the assignment that's due this week. Um, I know this is kind of an inappropriate kind of an inappropriate way to uh, contact you about this assignment, but. So, so they acknowledged in their message yeah. to you, this is the wrong way to go about it. But I'm gonna do it anyway, so. <laughs> Probably one of the negative aspects of your name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can find me easily. There's not many Aglia wins out there. I have this kind of hard and fast rule that I do in that I don't really connect to that many people on Facebook at all. I used to have twice as many friends, and I just cut them all out. Not because I didn't like them, not because they posted political stuff, just like, I, just, I was like, I don't actually care about this person. I added you because I went to high school with you, and there's very few people that I went to high school with and I'm still wanting to actually have that connection with. So I got rid of the vast majority of people. And so now Facebook, I do kind of post a little more maybe personal things. I'll put a picture of my kids up or things that I'm doing. But on Twitter, I don't care who follows me on Twitter because I'm not putting anything like that up. There's, there's very few things that are really personal. It's just kind of, hey, I, I like this article or this podcast or this video, or whatever it is now I want to share with you. I don't have a, a Twitter. I have a Snapchat and I have a Facebook. And I've, I've been doing the same thing with Facebook because there's so many people from high school 
most of them I didn't care for then and probably don't care for now, but they found me anyway, so I was polite and added them. Um, I rarely post anything on Facebook. Um, Snapchat, I have my few select friends on there. Um, they see my videos of my dogs, like they're bombarded with dog videos and whatnot. But um, that's the main place that I actually, I, the main site that I actually keep updated. Like Facebook, I rarely post anything. Well, I have some interesting things that I found on Twitter from students that you may be interested in just on how they perceive this, particularly when, as faculty, we try to use these social media sites, either in the classroom or maybe even inappropriately trying to connect with students. So one person said, LOL, my current accounting professor just sent me a friend request on Facebook. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I wouldn't do that one. Another person they didn't connect with the teacher. The teacher didn't send their request. They just said, I just found my English 111 professor on Facebook. And you see all the weird, awkward photos that that student no longer has respect for that teacher anymore. Those things that you just don't want to be doing. And then another one said, this, um, my professor just started following us on Snapchat. And so there was LMAO a few times. <laughs> and then she said, I'm going to send him a booty pic from my Snap. Other student, ha, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, so definitely don't do that. Um, or, this was interesting, to Megan Casey. She said, awkward moment when you post on Snapchat at Better Buzzed, and two minutes later you get a text from your professor asking why you're not doing homework. I don't know how these professors are, are getting this information and why they're digging so hard to get it, I guess. That's true. I have, <laughs> I have no desire to do any of that Yeah. <laughs> with any of our students. I generally like avoid the eye contact if I see like someone in, uh, in Bilo or something. So I'm definitely not going to go and scout <laughs> them out on Snapchat. It, it is awkward when you run into <laughs> students out in the public. Oh, you're going to take my order. Oh, yeah. Okay, ignore my rowdy kids right now. <laughs> Don't judge me. Please disregard the last assignment you did poorly on as you're making my salad. Yeah, that oh, type of thing. yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think one thing that we might also see with as colleges, the institutions themselves, they might start using these social media accounts as well. I know that here at Tech, we just recently hired a social media, media coordinator, someone to actually manage all of our accounts. So we have Facebook pages, we have a Twitter account, we have Instagram pages. They're on Snapchat now. I'm not sure what they're going to do with that, but they're on Snapchat. That just happened this past week. And so we do see this kind of move and push towards that. And one of the things that you can see, if you look back to one of the, the news articles that we talked about, that stabbing at Rutgers, they sent out a news alert. And one of the things that was included that was a Twitter update. That was one thing that was really good that I've noticed in the past few years with Coastal Carolina. They've got a wonderful, I mean, their Facebook feed and Twitter updates are pretty consistent, pretty regular. If there's an issue, if something's going on, it's very quickly noted. I'm really glad we've brought that here and we've established that tech. So I'm looking forward to how that works out for us. Right. Actually, the Facebook page for our college this was one of the really good uses of Facebook I want to mention before, Paul. Um, during the hurricane, I noticed that the updates were coming out really consistently as far as what to expect when classes would resume, what was going on on campus, uh, guidelines for professors, expectations for students. Everything was coming out pretty quickly. And the plus side, I noticed some of the professors were engaging with students, just giving heads up via their Facebook pages and kind of got me to thinking that's a wonderful way to communicate because let's be fair it's a hurricane what are you going to do go to the Ori georgetown tech website or go to check your facebook feed right <laughs> so it's immediate instant information when you're trying to update friends and family and there it is popping up that 
hey, such such is the situation. I do think it's a it's a great benefit. It's a a very good way to use this as a tool and a resource. But at the same time, it opens up the both good and bad of the internet. It's the good in that we're getting the information out there in a way that people are actually going to see it. But you also have the bad side in that when we announce that hey, classes are resuming on this day, you get all the trolls and the people very very upset. Why in the world are you opening back up now? Don't you know that these schools are canceled? Why are you opening? And you get the vitriol. To me, that Facebook has become the new comment section on a local web, uh, local newspaper website, which is just terrible. Just the most negative aspects of society complaining about something anytime they disagree with it. Well, why don't we do this as we start to, to wrap up and get to the other things that we're going to cover. Let's think of maybe one or two things takeaways that we would want students to have in regards to social media and or even just a fellow fellow faculty you know how to do it better so it's actually going to be engaging and worthwhile you might want to go first are you talking about in general or in the classroom paul either or <laughs> okay um i think for in general to borrow the phrase from aglia keep it safe for me mall um <laughs> just Keep it PG, know that it is going to keep existing. It is going to exist well beyond you. Keep it clean. Keep it professional. So you're apparently, according to your comments you found on Twitter, your professors are watching. <laughs> there are quite a few. Yeah. They watch. And that I don't know which I'm more skeeved out by. That is a little concerning. Yeah, yeah quite. Uh, for mine, I'm going to build off a question that... Baloria on Twitter asked, she said, what is the appropriate amount of time to wait after a class ends to add the professor on social media? The correct answer is never. <laughs> That's my advice. I agree, and I guess to feed off of what Carl was saying, um, I was surprised as I was getting ready to join the, the professional workforce. I'd waitress well my whole way through college. Um, I didn't realize how many schools, how many uh, potential employers actually did get into uh, your social media account. You can decide whether that's good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, what it is. Um, I strongly suggest having or creating a LinkedIn account. Um, this is a professional um, a professional networking site and um, many of the employer or many of the schools that I was applying to um, and the initial job search I, you could actually see where they logged into my account and browse through my um, my account so make sure that you create a LinkedIn account if you're all ready for the job search but uh, again keep it clean on Facebook don't hurt me most feelings and if you have posted one of those things go back and delete it so one of my wife's cousins, he's in high school, and there's currently a picture that he posted of him showing his butt off in the boys' bathroom at school. So Jared, if you're listening, <laughs> please delete that picture. And Lord knows if you haven't done it already, go ahead and delete your MySpace. It mm. is still just as embarrassing as you thought it was. All right, folks, so it's time for recommended readings. We'll wrap it up with this one. This is where we each share something that we've come across in life somewhere or somehow, and it caught our attention. Now we want to share it and encourage you to check them out. So for me personally, Paul, my recommended reading right now, I have fallen in love with a website called Budget Bites. Okay, I'm not, I'm not familiar with this. What is it? So it's uh, Bites, B-Y-T-E-S, and it is frugal foods basically the woman whose last name escapes me at the moment her name is beth she poses with a bottle of sriracha so that's wonderful creates 
killer meals and just and has the price point breakdown for each of the ingredients so you actually get the price of the meal before you see anything else and it's all cheaply cheaply done and so far incredibly delicious nice we'll be sure to include a link to that in the show notes then um, my recommended reading is also a website mine is camelcamelcamel.com so if you're unfamiliar with this website what it does is it helps you get the best deal on Amazon so you find an item that you want to purchase on Amazon you put in the link to it on camel 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 and then it will bring up a price history for you to see at what's the lowest it's been when did that happen do this does this item go on sale pretty often and so by creating a free account you can access some of the additional features one of them which is very beneficial is that you can set price alerts so if an item is hundred dollars but you only want to pay eighty once that price drops down to below that you get sent an email from camel 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 to let you know hey go and buy this item and if you have an Amazon wish list you can go ahead and import the whole thing do it all in one fell swoop so this is something to keep in mind as we approach the holiday season in the gift giving that we often do apparently this is our saving money episode at the back end <laughs> well let's wait here hear what Aglia says first yeah um, absolutely it is so this being the time of year where you gotta buy 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 I need like the latest toy the latest iPhone all this other jazz um, I started uh, following a website called um, becomingminimalist.com. So uh, we don't realize it, but we want to keep up with the Kardashians and all these other ridiculous people, and we want to have the latest and greatest doodads and hickey-doos and whatever else. But um, it becomes a hassle, more or less. You come home, you have to sort through everything you buy. Uh, you, you aren't able to appreciate what you have because you have so much and it becomes more of a burden so this is kind of something I'm trying to adopt um, getting rid of stuff that I don't use and this website uh, and it's like they actually have a Facebook page as well um, they give you tips for doing so because I think we we buy 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 and don't ever think about it how cluttered our lives become and the headache that it presents as a result so yeah it's worth checking out becoming minimal becoming minimalist.com it reminds me of an article that I saw from Paul Graham uh, a few years ago talking about stuff and he says a lot of times we will accumulate stuff because it makes us feel good that we've accomplished something or we'll buy something because it's a good deal I got this thing that's normally $200 I got it for 25 and that, that's great but do you need it right. are you going to use it does it bring you any kind of joy so he is all about going to the bare minimum and only getting things that you're actually going to use and I think it p pulls off a lot from uh, Marie Kondo as well in that book that she wrote about simplifying all right well that wraps up wraps up our show for the week thank you for listening in we appreciate any feedback or questions you may have so please reach out to us at fail at college at gmail.com on twitter we're at fail at college that's the same username at fail at college for instagram so be sure to follow us there too if you like the show please 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 rate us in itunes and leave us a great review this is what helps other people find out about us if you haven't already go ahead subscribe to the show which you can do right now while you're listening to us run through the credits thank you so much folks and speaking of those reviews on itunes i do want to give a shout out to swamp thing and pamazon7 whoever you two are you left us five star reviews and you're very nice in your comments so we do appreciate that carl and i produce and edit the show ourselves and our theme music is by brooke for free the outro music comes from chris dack until next time we are how to fail at college thank you for listening take care folks See ya!